absolutely electrifying but also terrifying and extremely difficult and of course we got lots of criticism from people saying you can't be god because you haven't got the resources i remember so many people telling me that not having what you think you need is not a sign that jesus is not with you well welcome everybody this is inspired and this week we've got john kirkby with us welcome john yeah good afternoon so it's great to have you john is the founder of cap christian against poverty he was awarded CB in 2018 in recognition of the incredible impact that CAP has had. A number of you would have heard of it, some of you might not, but it's had uh, an impact in tens of thousands of people's lives. And I'm really excited to, to hear from you, John. We've, we've never actually met, but we've, we've spoken at a number of conferences at the same time. And, and uh, I know at, your, at conferences, they always give away your book, nevertheless. And I read that and it blew my socks off. I loved all those stories of, uh, of God's transformation of people's lives. So looking forward to hearing it. So let's just kick off. Let's get in yeah. there. So um, tell us tell us a bit of your backstory. Yeah, so uh, I was born into a really loving family. Uh, we weren't the poorest people in the neighbourhood, but certainly not the richest. And I had an idyllic childhood until the age of about nine. Around about nine, my father became ill. We didn't really know what it was. And over the next, yeah, sort of, yeah, eventually turned out to be nine years. Just my father's illness got um, more and more serious. And then as I hit the teenage years, um, yeah, no real explanation, but I really, yeah, lost the plot. Um, I suffered from mild dyslexia. I'd been deemed to have sort of special needs uh, educationally, although my dad was certain that I was a bright lad. Mm-hmm. But I was introduced to alcohol and other things too early. And yeah, much to my yeah shame, really, I was, yeah, became quite an angry, quite a violent young man, left school at 16 with very few qualifications. And yeah, there wasn't... Um, there wasn't much good in my life. And at 18, my father died. And within a year, my mother, bless her, was, um, yeah, sectioned, so taken away by authorities and placed in an institution, yeah. really. And I was just left on my own, aged 18. Single child. Yeah, I mean, I had two much older sisters than me, but to be honest, I was probably unreachable um, mm-hmm. because I was still really, really not very well um, and still mixed up, of course, now added to with the trauma of losing my dad and my mother being so ill. So, yeah, very, very dark and difficult time for me. So were you were you homeless? Were you just living by yourself in a what was the Yeah, situation? so um, fortunately, although my mum was in an institution, they were, she was able to keep the home, so I just stayed at home really on my own and visiting her. And it was really interesting. So over the next probably six months really, um, my life spiraled downward, but then I realized almost as I hit the bottom that I really had to do something. I could not mm-hmm. let things just fall apart. So I needed to get a job, and I got a job as a door-to-door debt collector, uh, loan salesman, and sort of repossession guy for a, a, a new American finance company that arrived in the UK in the late 70s. So literally started from the very bottom of the finance industry, uh, collecting debts, doing small loans and repossessions in Bradford, my home city, which was one eye-opener. However, I was, believe it or not, at home in that kind of difficult environment, and somehow I'm sure God had his hands on me, although, of course, I didn't know him then. Sure. So you, you succeeded at that? Yeah, over about, yeah, so for the next, yeah, sort of 10 years, I had, certainly from where I came from, a pretty successful career, ended up being sort of recruited to build sort of new finance and consumer finance companies from scratch. Uh, I got married. We had two girls. I had, yeah, I had a nice house, nice car. Uh, I earned, yeah, certainly um, from where I came from, I earned, you know, really a good reward for my efforts. Mm -hmm. And on the surface, everything looked 
everything looked really, really good. However, um, yeah, underneath the veneer of success, pretty certain, in fact, I am certain that the sort of broken person that I had been, he was still around. And yeah, that was eventually to surface in my losing my marriage and eventually ended up really, really struggling again um, as my marriage imploded. And yeah, I lost yeah so much and ended up in so much debt. So yeah, it kind of went all full circle and ended up with my two little girls just living in one room of a friend's house when I had them, mm-hmm. um, overwhelmed by spiraling debt, abandoned by everybody, lost my wife, lost my home. That was, yeah, 1992, just after I'd gone thir- turned 30. My life was carnage, void of all hope, really. Yeah. And is that the start of your coming to faith? Yeah. Um, right in the middle of all that. Yeah. So, you know, when you're in debt and when you're you're struggling financially, it's a very lonely place to be, but mm-hmm. it's also lonely because people, yeah, people stay clear. And I was definitely on my own. Um, and just one guy that I'd met, a guy called Paul, who just did two things. He kind of cared for me and uh, and seemed to have a, a concern for me that I'd not seen anyone else. He was also non-judgmental. He accepted where I was and who I was and him and his wife, basically helped me and my two little girls, my two daughters, kind of helped us practically, but also probably more importantly, he was a friend. He was, yeah, I mean, I thought it was a little bit weird at the beginning because I couldn't understand why would this guy who I don't know bother about somebody that no one else who yeah. does know is bothered about. Mm-hmm. But I think you can gather, yeah, I think you can guess the next thing. Mm-hmm. So not only did he show me, which I was to come to know, that he was showing me the love of Jesus and the compassion of Jesus through him, but he also told me, he had a confidence, he wasn't ashamed of the gospel, he, he told me he was a Christian, he told me his story, he spoke openly and in a really relaxed way about his faith and then he said, would I like to go to church? And the answer to that question was to really eventually pivot my life. So in 1992, I went into church and the story and the page turned was it a sort of a powerful encounter with the Holy Spirit or was it just yeah. a desperation reaching out? To be honest, Simon, I can't really unpick that myself, really. Mm-hmm. Um, I was definitely desperately sad. I was def- desperately ashamed. I was very lonely. Yeah, so all that was definitely where I was. But yeah, as many people describe, I just was in church and listening to Paul talk about Jesus. And there was just something in my heart. There was a there was a huge chasm inside me, an emptiness that I'd been trying to fill probably for most yeah, of my adult life. Mm-hmm. And I just felt the sense that this Jesus guy sounds great. So I gave my heart to Christ in 1992, nearly 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think I've got to really sort of say now that, you know, you know when somebody finds faith on a, on a Sunday and by Tuesday they're in a midweek group, Wednesday they're supporting the kids' church and by the following <laughs> Friday they're running the youth group and by the next Sunday they're up preaching. Uh, well, yeah, by the way, when that happens, I'm cheering, I'm the, I'm the shouting from the back, praise the Lord. Yeah. Unfortunately, my story wasn't. Well, I actually think, no, unfortunately, I look back and think, fortunately for me, my story was, was his story and... There was no doubt for the first two years of my journey as a Christian, I really, I must have been one of the worst baby Christians in the history of baby Christians. I mean, I was, Simon, I was all over the place. I can't tell you how much I was all over the place. Yeah, obviously, I had a lot to unpack, hadn't I? And there was a lot around me, and I was struggling as well. 
But I have to say, uh, not only Paul and some of the guys in this very small church kind of stuck with me. Mm-hmm. How they did that, I do not know. But I also testify that my Lord and Savior's grace was sufficient for a lost soul, mm-hmm. for someone who was trying to find a way out of his lifestyle and his anger. And yeah, it was a, it was a long job. And my wife, Lizzie, now tells me that she believes that is a, that is still in operation. She believes that he's still, I've still got a long way yeah. to go. Well, she will know, isn't she? Yeah. But, well, he rebuilt me. And then I my career turned around. I started paying my debts off and met my beautiful wife, Lizzie. And yeah, we were together for a couple of years. And then in 1996, we were about to get married. My debts were being paid. I had another good job. We were in a home and we were ready to ride off into the sunset of married life. Mm-hmm. Um, but God had other ideas. <laughs> so yeah. say. Well, we, we share, um, we don't share the same wife, but we share, we share the same Lizzie. I've also yeah. got a beautiful Lizzie wife, so there you go. Wonderful. So um, that was how the start of Cap sort of came yeah. into being, was it? He sort of redeemed, he used your skills that you formerly yeah. got. Yeah, yeah he, he, I think we were about 16 weeks off getting married. And I, well, I ran a, a sort of secured lending division for a large finance company. And I went into, <laughs> went into the office one morning in the March of 96 and I sat down and looked out of my office across, you know, across the, the office where mm-hmm. everybody was. And something in me just, something just went, nah, no, no chance. I don't want to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm not interested really in this. I love the people I work with. I love the excitement, the entrepreneurialism. The, you know, I, I love lots of the job, but I'm not going to spend the rest of my life doing this. I really, really want to help the poor. I want to help people where I was. And then I went home that Tuesday night and Lizzie was busily doing the place settings for the reception for our wedding mm-hmm. and as we were moving people's places around i just lent in and said oh lizzie i think god's asked me to give my job up and i want to help the poor and then i remember quickly going on to say and where do you want auntie margaret and uncle jack to sit so it's not <laughs> deflecting from the que- from the statement and she just went just say that again john you want to give your job up and you want to help the poor and that's it and i went yep that's yeah. it and she said, well, which was fortunate eventually, she said, I'm not marrying you for your big job or your income. I'm not marrying you for what you can earn. I'm marrying you because God's brought us together. And if you believe that's what God has got for you, then count me in. And great testament to Lizzie, despite all the heart, heartache and challenges we've faced over the last 25 years, not once has she ever rescinded that commitment that oh. she had enough faith that God was with us and for us and has never questioned ultimate step of faith to give him a job mm. and then the real steps of faith actually dealing with all the challenges we faced in getting capped from a little bedroom office in 96 to where god eventually got it to so yeah remarkable we came back from honeymoon i sat in my home office and somebody had given me 10 pounds and i got in front of my computer and thought what can i do and i knew instantly that i could help people whose lives are devastated by debt i knew the finance industry inside out i was entrepreneurial in terms of developing products and I'd been there myself, and I knew that I had something to share with people, not just helping them with their finances. But of course, I was rampant in sharing the faith, my faith in Jesus. So off we went. 
Yes. Oh, I, I love it. You know, I, I, as you say, starting with, with a tenor, I think of our Street Kids project in Burundi that started with uh, a fiver. Yeah. And, and then you see, and that is, you're talking 25 years on, theirs would be 24 years on, and now it's yeah. got this massive land, it's yeah. entrepreneurial programs and kids yeah. around the country that now in gainful employment instead of being rapist emerges, which is what yeah. the, the future is of a street kid in Burundi otherwise. So that's God's intervention. Look, I want to hear loads of these stories, but so you, I'm picturing you now in your... What was it? Your bedroom office. Those are the humble beginnings. So yeah, it was like lockdown all over again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, how long did it take you to graduate from the office to the lounge or to the garden? Oh shed? my gosh! Yeah. Um, yeah, I believe honestly, it must have been the most unsuccessful ministries in the history of unsuccessful <laughs> ministries. No, seriously. Um, oh my gosh! How quickly did it take for me to realise this was not going to be a walk in the park? So, over the first year, we yeah, we raised yeah just enough money. I mean, we lived off, you know, 80 pounds, everything all thrown in. Uh, within six months, we were struggling to pay our mortgage. Um, and I was, yeah, I must have been also the quickest person ever ready to quit. I remember, you know, it didn't take long till I realized, do I really want to do this? That's okay. God's a God of honesty and openness. Yeah. However, what he'd done in the meantime, while I just kind of got going, is he'd introduced me to these amazing clients that I'd started working with. Uh, Denise and Dennis and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, Carl and Marie, Joseph and Anne, you know, these were people that I'd worked with right from the beginning. And I was in their homes, I was in their lives. I was stopping their homes being repossessed. I was managing to get their debts reduced and interest stopped. And I was offering to pray with them and couple found Christ and started coming to church. And all this thing happened in very minute numbers. So even though I think I was pretty quick at thinking you're joking god this is not what it this is not how it should be where is the support where is the you know where are all the knights in shining armor when you need them mm-hmm. but fortunately i'd engaged with people and i'd seen the transformation in their lives so i was certain despite the little evidence to prove it that god was with me mm-hmm. and i just couldn't leave these people who were really where i'd been and i'd had nobody yeah apart from paul and obviously my own ability to work it out myself and really, that was the thing that sustained us over the next 13 years before we actually got paid on time. It took 13 years. And somebody said, if I'd have known that at the beginning, would I have kept going? No, is the simple answer. But yeah. I didn't know that, did I? All I knew was that every day we had to get up, we to keep going, we to trust God, we to um, continue helping people, and God started bringing people to us. And we eventually, in the next two years, um, ended up, uh, there was five people working in our house, um, yeah, Lizzie was pregnant with our first child. And yeah, another crunch moment <laughs> as yeah. of many that we went through. So John, you, you mentioned a few minutes ago, a couple of names. Can you give us a few of those sort of cracking early days stories that just maybe, I'm sure you had times when you wanted to pack it all in, but yeah. you, you remember that God has broken in and you cannot quit. Yeah, share I'll, a few I'll, of those. I'll, yeah I'll do the two that, that really sustained me. Mm. Dennis and Denise, yeah. So I went into this house with a lady, you know, sat down with her. She poured out all the debts. Um, and somebody being praying for, you know, praying for me going and seeing people. And they'd, they sensed that there was going to be some suicide, you know, where I went. And I, this lady basically told me straight away, mm. um, I'm going to kill myself. I'm going to kill myself. And I said, please don't do that. You know, it's okay. And she said, my husband doesn't know and he's coming home in an hour. And there's no idea the house is going to be repossessed. And that I've got all these debts and I've never told him and I can't face him. 
So I remember deciding to stay in the house till Dennis came home. So I just mm-hmm. stayed with her for an hour. And he walked in, you know, who are you? And I yeah. said, look, Dennis, sit down. I've got some news to tell you. You're in a raise with your mortgage. You've got spiraling debts. And he just looked at me and said, can you help me? And I went, yes, I can help you. And it's not all lost. And I think there's a chance I could save you home and, you know, we can get you out of debt. And he basically just went and hugged his wife and just said, you know, thanked. He was just so grateful that he knew something was wrong, but he didn't know what it was. He thought she was going to leave him. Mm. That's the impact debt had and can have on people, just the secretness, the brokenness, the guilt, the shame. And yeah, wonderfully, I helped them. We saved the house from being repossessed. They got their debts paid off. They managed their finances. And 15 years later, they came into our head office to see me, to Mm. let me know that they were celebrating their 25th wedding anniversary Mm. and they were having a cruise and that they had no debt and they'd saved up and now their children had grandkids. And that one couple kept me going. And the other one was a lady called Debbie, who two kids, she admitted that she used to pray, didn't know God, but she used to pray that a neighbor would invite her two sons, um, you know, for tea. She used to basically buy, you know, 60 tins of sort of beans and spaghetti and then just massive bags of flour and make dumplings with tinned beans for the kids day after day after day. And she was absolutely broken. And again, we saved her home from being repossessed. We gave her dignity back. She came out, came out of debt. And she actually went on to become not only an absolute roaring Christian, but she joined our board and was on our board for 10 years. And her sons, who were seven and eight when I was in their house, uh, I kept you know, in touch with them. And yeah, the eldest one, he ended up um, breakdancing around the world, sharing the good news of Jesus. Brilliant. And I had such a joy to see. So in the midst of the need that we had, we could see lives transformed. And it was just enough, Sam, just mm. enough for me and the team to keep going. People joining us to work when we hadn't been paid ourselves for three months and people were joining and bringing their own faith. It was absolutely electrifying, but also terrifying and extremely difficult and of course, we got lots of criticism from people saying, you can't be God because you haven't got the resources. I remember so many people telling me that. And I remember saying, look, the Apostle Paul was the most anointed man who walked the face of this earth after Jesus. And he says, I know what it is to have plenty and I know what it is to have lack. Not having what you think you need is not a sign that Jesus is, is not with you. That's, That's right. not how it is, man. That's mm. not how it is. His Holy Spirit was with us every day. We saw people's lives transformed. We saw people finding Christ. We saw churches being changed. We saw homes being saved. We saw kids having a future. You know, we didn't need anybody to tell us God wasn't in it just because we didn't have any money. And he was very, very faithful. And as you know, finally brought it all through. And yeah, Uh, what can you say? Yeah, no, it's beautiful. I'm guessing, I'd love to hear Lizzie's side of the story, but I mean, the, the, the personal cost must have been significant. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, there were pinch points, really. So I remember, and, and they're funny now, if, if, if you can understand what I mean. Mm. So she was seven months pregnant with our first daughter, as it turned out, Abigail. There was five people working in our home. And somebody rang me up and said, because we needed to move out, and said they had a caravan in their backyard mm-hmm. you know, like for us to live in. So I remember <laughs> bounding in. When Lizzie came home, I said, oh, Lizzie, Lizzie, the Lord has provided. Um, we've got a caravan to live in, in the back of Avril's garden. Isn't that fantastic? God, just think, isn't that great? I told you God to provide. And 
we laugh now, but it was probably one of the few times. She did it twice actually, but she basically <laughs> said, "I don't want to be, uh, I don't want to be, yeah, ungrateful, John. But can you just go back and have a word with your mate upstairs? Because if you think I'm having my first child in a caravan in the backyard of Avril, both you and him have slightly got it wrong. So if you just get back on the case and get praying, because I don't think that that's God's answer to we need somewhere to live. And of course, three weeks before Avril was born." A local church had a free house from a vicar who moved out. They offered us it free. They paid for it to be decorated. We all piled in. And with seven days to go, we moved into a, a house and Abigail was born and we had a home to live in. So that was one. And then the other one was when we bought a big building to house our growing staff. And it was a derelict building in Bradford. And I walked around with about nine people, Lizzie mm-hmm. being one. And I was all enthusiastic. So you needed a numberella inside the building. There was... You know, pigeons inside it was unbelievably bad and I walked around jumping around saying what we were going to do with it and then when she didn't say anything when people were there but when she got home she said John she was with Johnny voice because Johnny I'm just going to ask you once and your, your first answer will do <laughs> but let me tell you 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 think if you are certain this is God you need to know not one person who walked around with you actually <laughs> believes that this could possibly be God you've got no money we haven't been paid for four months and you want to buy a building off someone and you haven't got any money to pay us yet alone by the building however if you and your God have decided this is the plan, I am with you. But please note, you need to check it before tomorrow morning. <laughs> so, yeah. so other than those two, yeah, and they were funny rather than any sense of lack of faith. You know? And was that building the building you ended up buying? Jubilee Mill, yeah. That's the one we bought, is yeah. Is it? Wow. Go, go on, tell it. us the story about the Lord provided for that then. Okay, so walking around the derelict building, we're going to buy this. And I basically just said to Lizzie that I had no money so if God didn't want us to buy it, it would be really easy to stop us. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I ended up having breakfast with a friend and I knew that he was reasonably wealthy, but not in terms of being able to give us lots of money. But I basically just over conflicts, choosing my moment carefully when he'd filled his mouth with conflicts, basically just said, uh, would you lend me £185,000, please? I've got no collateral and no income, but I'm sure we'll work it out. And he said, yes. He would lend us it. And I went back to the um, people, the administrators who were buying it off, and it was on for like 400000 or something. And I rang them up and said, oh, I'm offering 185000 And they said, that's basically disrespectful to the owners, and we're not going to even put that forward. And I went, look, you're an you're administrator. You have to put that offer forward. And they put it forward anyway. They said, yes, so we bought the whole thing for 185000 wow. with no we didn't have. And we had no money to do it up, and we still haven't been paid. But it became this remarkable landmark of yeah of christians against poverty in bradford we got 300 staff working in the 50,000 square foot state of the art office and we also bought another building next door to it obviously things move on and um, yeah kappa yeah the, there's lots of new buildings around you know loads of change but that was the story of the home of christians against poverty mm. oh that's just so so encouraging uh, how much how much is the you know getting the the building in order and what's the story there 10 years mm. i did it a bit at a time. So we did a room, hired some more staff, did another room. So it took 10 years to do it. I didn't, I begged and borrowed. I never stole, but it was kind of bordering <laughs> on the you know, beg, steal and borrow. So we, yeah, we just set up places where people could lend us money interest-free because we were a charity and we could set up a funding program and we repaid people and then they gave us it and then we borrowed some money and yeah, and then we got tenants in to pay for the loans and, and, and amazing, remarkable 10 years um, gut wrenchingly difficult though, but things, things sometimes are, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Key lessons learned in that time? Don't underestimate God. 
Yeah. And don't judge by what you see. And don't listen to negos. Yeah, plenty of them around, eh? Yeah, I often thought, I used to think that, and by the way, this is not being in any way disrespectful to people's other opinions. They were actually right in many ways, so please don't, you know, I'm not critical of people's opinions. But I used to have this idea that, you know, if you were stepping out in faith and trying to do something for God, that everybody would be wow and inspired by it. But I often kind of finally worked out that for some people, the fact that you are full of faith and that you are going to put yourself in the need of a miracle can often bring out sort of people's understand. you know, that they haven't done that or they don't do that and it comes out in judgment. And, you know, people say to me, you know, how do you find, how have you lived in all these miracles, John? Where did you and Lizzie get these miracles from? And I often say to people, if you want a miracle, you've got to put yourself in a place where if God doesn't turn up, you are in deep trouble. Yeah. And we've spent... Yeah, we spent 25 years in that place. Mm. Therefore, there was plenty of opportunity for the miracles. But you're not going to get a miracle if you live comfortably. You're not going to get a miracle in your finances if you work it out yourself. You're not going to, you know, you're not going to see God at work unless you put yourself in a place where you need God to turn up. And in that place, you will have a mixture of some disappointment because God doesn't always say yes right now. Mm -hmm. You're going to learn lessons. You're going to grow in your faith. You're going to learn to be closer to him. And you're going to see the miraculous intervention of the living God. And that is our testimony. Anything good in us, anything that's worked, anything that's grown, any life that's changed, anything, it's all down to the power of Jesus Christ that is working through an ordinary couple, just Johnny Boy and Lizzie, who just fell in love with Jesus and decided to get on his kingdom, growing his kingdom's um, route. And we yeah. stepped down in faith. And we yeah. see miracle after miracle. And we're around the world now, as you know. Mm, yeah. And it's cliche, isn't it? But if you want to get fruit, you've got to go out on a limb. And uh, I, th I think... Um, or, plant some, or plant some pits at least. Yeah. I, well, often I, I say, and again, it's not, it's not judging, but um, you can have a faith without living by faith. Yeah. And a lot of us um, want to be very in control all the way, and we don't go out on a limb, and so we have a faith. But... There's, there's no experiential reality and there's no none of those stories that you've regularly got to share because we haven't mm. had to depend on God to see mm. him come through. Mm. So, I mean, I, I guess a lot of people listening uh, can't imagine the sort of poverty, haven't been in doubt. I've never been in, well, I mean, I've lived by faith, but I've never yeah. had to have people come and re repossess, repossess my house, anything like that. Mm. Very briefly, can you explain us without getting too technical what the process is, how, how it works? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So first of all, the reason, you know, people get into debt, um, the vast majority of people are in debt not because of their, you know, mistakes or poor living. Most people's debt has been caused by external factors, um, ill health, cancer, marriage mm. breakdown, redundancy, illness. Being ripped off by other people is often, you know, more prevalent than people think. And also for anybody who has made a few mistakes in the way that they've managed their money or they have, to borrow to often feed their kids and provide for the basic needs i think the number one thing about christians against poverty is whenever we begin to speak to anybody we do it with a heart of compassion mm -hmm. with a non-judgmental it's okay you're not alone lots of people are in this situation and there is hope so our message starts from when anybody rings the helpline with someone who overwhelmingly has got a compassionate heart so first connection with cap is always look, we can find a way, we understand, you know, we'll help you. 
well done for having the strength to ring us and ask for help or, or come through one of our other agencies or referrals. And basically what we do is uh, in the UK, we have hundreds of churches working with us that have what we call cap debt centers. Mm-hmm. And we've trained debt coaches in these churches uh, up to three you know, per church, if it's a big church in a big area, and they're trained to go into people's homes. So we always visit people in their home and they collect all the information. And yeah, this is probably can be some of the most traumatic stuff for both the people we're helping and our staff mm-hmm. and workers that people just come up with a bin liner of yeah. desperation really and the guilt the shame and when they write it all down in and they're faced with just what desperate situation is they often get overwhelmed as yeah. you know denise did all those years ago with guilt but of course you know we're we're christians against poverty we're not we're not ashamed of the gospel mm-hmm. never have we been ashamed of the gospel so we will always not only listen and be compassionate but we bring hope yeah. that's not just founded on our faith but it's founded on the fact that We've helped hundreds of thousands of people around the world. We know what to do. Mm. But it's just that hope bringer and the message of you are not alone. And it, most of the work we do, yes, it's, we do the technical debt stuff. So, yes, all the documentation is then forwarded to our head office, a trained debt coach. We're regulated by the FCA, a trained debt coach, organises the budget. Then we give option letters, whether they were to go for a debt relief order, which is deemed as sort of low-income bankruptcy, or whether they can afford to repay their debt. They're given options, they choose an option, and then we hold their hand for however many months or years it takes for them to go debt-free through our system. So technically, it's a stunning system. It's all free of charge, so it is amazing. But as, um, yeah, uh, people may or may not know, but Martin Lewis is one of the most trusted men in the UK, runs a massive sort of financial advice. He's not a Christian, but a ministry, uh, sorry, a a business. Um, You know, he refers people to us live on, you know, breakfast tv yeah he says if you're in debt but you need more help than just your debt sorting out you must ring christians against poverty and he's visited us and seen what we do fantastic uh, a world acknowledging the quality of the debt counseling but what we recognize is the quality of jesus compassionate work in all we do so yeah. we always offer to pray with people and we always look to invite people who are always lonely always feel unable to have build friendship into our homes, into our churches, into our home groups. And it is that sense of reaching out yeah. to show and share. You remember when we first talked about Paul when he met me in 92, yeah? yeah. He just showed the love and compassion of Jesus. Mm. But he also told me of the love and compassion of Jesus. And that's been something, a hallmark of the amazing staff that have worked on the front line over 25 years whose passion for Jesus gives yeah. them enough confidence to not be ashamed of the gospel and to yeah. invite prayer and invite people to find out more about him. And and that's what that's what God's called us to do. And that's what we continue to do to this day. Mm, love it. Fabulous. And I also love it when uh, unashamedly uh, Christ professing organizations get secular recognition. So I read that, you know, you know, two years running, you got the UK's best small company to work for. Yeah, on the time, the time, times, yeah. Awards, that's brilliant. And then in 2018, funny enough, I got an MB in 2018. You got oh. a CB. And I had to, I just Googled to say, what's better, CB or MB? Oh. I think yours is a cut above mine. So well done. Yeah, well, yeah, well, whatever it is. Um, yeah, we, again, for 20, it was at the time, it was over 20 years of commitment to charity. And at the end of the day, yeah, we we had the accolades and all the stuff like that. But we accepted it on behalf of everybody who's worked But also there was a beautiful moment that, um, yeah, I'm a Bradford lad, so I often 
sort of stretch the ask. So mm-hmm. they gave us just two tickets to go, and I just basically said, I've got five kids, um, and we want them all to come, so I've got some extra tickets. Great. And to just sit there, yeah, with the kids on the evening, just having a meal, and we borrowed a friend's home to stay in London. Mm-hmm. We're all sat around having a, a meal together, and I just looked around the table and went, this is my, this is my CBE. Look yeah. what God's done from me and my two little girls living in a friend's house, one room, struggling to manage spiraling debts, a broken dad. And here we are, nearly 30 years later, three generations, three grandkids. There's no poverty in my family. The sense of God's blessing and spirit yes. just rebounds around us. So thank you, thank you, your majesty, for the command of the British Empire. Mm. But thank you, Jesus Christ, for the transformed life. Yes. Know which one I value most. But again, you know, use anything, anything that the Apostle Paul said, I use all things, I'm all things to all men, so that the gospel will flourish. And if anything that, you know, God wants to bring our way that we can use to show that Christians can run businesses and charities well, and that we can be great managers and leaders and look after people, I just think, yeah, come on, let's get out in the yeah. world. Let's not be ashamed of who's made us like we are, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, folks, I hope you're enjoying the podcast. I'm loving the response we're getting from across the world. It's, it's just wonderful to see how encouraging and inspiring it is being and hitting the spot. Listen, if you are being blessed by it, I'd love it. Basically, this happens under the auspices of our ministry, Great Lakes Outreach, which works in the poorest and the hungriest country in the world, which is Burundi. We're having an incredible impact in the toughest of circumstances. We want to carry on supporting those local folks doing a great job. So if you wanted to, greatlakesoutreach.org forward slash inspired you could make a donation there i'd so appreciate it also it's word of mouth isn't it so gossip this these podcasts to other people get them to subscribe give us a great review absolutely wonderful so grateful to you so that's greatlakesoutreach.org forward slash inspired if you want to do a monthly a couple of quid a month or or a one-off donation we'd be incredibly grateful all right now let's get back to the podcast One thing I, I remember, and I read nevertheless years ago, probably yeah. over 10 years ago, but um, was the the concept of uh, ringing the bell when you get a, a testimony yeah. story. So can you just speak on that? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you where that came from, first of all, because it's obviously the most obscure celebration anybody's heard of. So remember the derelict mill that I told you about yeah. uh, that we went into? Believe it or not, I don't think it'd been used since sort of the yeah, 19th, 20th. It was, yeah, it was absolutely derelict. And their fire alarm was a hand-rung bell. Right. So just get your head around that. So I'm the fire uh, monitor. The building is on fire, yeah. and I have to stand next to a bell and ring it to let other people know to leave the building. But if I leave the building, the bell stops. So it's the most archaic fire alarm system you could ever imagine. Mm-hmm. But that was clearly in the mill. That's what we found, a bell on a wall. And I've no idea why or who, but we somebody rang through to... We always collected every testament of everybody who found Christ since we started. And I remember someone just heard of it. You know, we we used to all stand around and praise and still do every person who finds Christ. But this person just rang this bell Mm -hmm. that resounded through this empty, desolate mill with about seven of us all huddled together. And there's ringing the bell. And we've done that ever since. And we've even taken bells around the world with us to actually put in the offices of our um, yeah, our other work in Australia, New Zealand, Canada, and now in uh, Chicago in the States. And everywhere in the world, when somebody gets saved, we ring the bell and we celebrate. We celebrate that life that's been transformed. And 
today there's you know well over 12,000 individuals recorded testimonies of people who have not only found freedom from debt but have also found Jesus Christ and begun their own generational transformation. Amen. God is good, man. He Amen. Is good. Love it. So you've you've moved on. So um, you're not a founder that has clung to a ministry and then destroyed it. So that's that's no, comforting. Tell <laughs> us a bit about the next stage. Yeah. So first of all, the moving on from Cap after 25 years. Yeah, a couple of people have said that they've sort of sensed that in many ways we've modelled, you know, what it is for a founder to hand things on, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, thank you for everybody who's recognised that. But that takes everybody to make that possible. So me and Lizzie. I've never considered it ours. It's always been his. We've spent, you know, 25 years delegating and releasing other people to lead and to bring their skills and truly acknowledging that Christians Against Poverty is his. It's Mm -hmm. never ours. And that it needs to continue to have that new wine in a new wineskin. We really felt this was the right time for us to pass this on to Paula here in the UK and her team, but also to all the teams around the world and all the boards, um, just to basically say, look, you know, we trust God, we trust you, it's his ministry, he knows what he wants to do with you and through you, and we were able to leave with, yeah, a huge amount of, wow, look what God's done, but mm-hmm. also a massive cheer for everybody who continues, and I'm always going to be the founder, you you know, if you, I'm like a stick of rock, if you cut me in half, you'll find Cap running all the way through it, so yeah. I'm a massive fan of Cap, I'm really excited for them, but also I feel really excited that it's their journey now, mm-hmm. we've done our journey. So moving on from CAP has been fantastic. The board, everybody's just been amazing. And they've actually asked me to continue supporting some of our international work, um, particularly in, this, in the States, which I'm going to continue to do, as well as the other things God's calling us to. So what are we going to do? Well, we don't really know exactly, but we're pretty certain God's not finished with us. We're pretty certain that we can't really be any other people than we are. Uh, mm-hmm. Johnny Boy and Lizzie, we love the church. We love the poor. And we're passionate about people having a chance to find him as their personal saviour and be discipled into the fullness that he's got. So we're busily speaking to friends. We're busily connecting with our ministry, friends that we have across the UK and in other countries across the church. And basically saying, Lord, here we are, use us. And we get a sense that maybe he's put in something where we can use our influence for good. So we can inspire and influence ministries in churches that are, doing good social action, mm-hmm. helping the poor, which seriously, no one's clapping helping the poor more than me. Mm. I know what it is to be needing things, but also to really inspire them and encourage them and give them some more confidence. So we're kind of basing ourselves on, yeah, the Isaiah 61, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon us because he has anointed us to preach good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim sight for the blind and freedom for the prisoners. So we're, settling our life around Isaiah 61, which is definitely a calling we've tried to outlive. But also in Romans 10.34, it says, so do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. For when you have done the will of God, he who is coming will come and not delay. And if they shrink back, I will not be pleased with them. But we, this is Johnny Boy and Lizzie, Mm -hmm. and anyone else we we can talk to, but we are not those who shrink back, but we are those who are saved. So we've committed the next journey in our life. I'm 60 next month. We've determined that we're going to continue to not throw away our confidence and say to God, please use us in any way you can to influence, to encourage, to inspire, and to give a bit more confidence to people. We do not have to be ashamed of the gospel. And do not throw away our confidence, for it will be 
richly rewarded. We've seen the richly, and we're going to maintain the confidence in him to use us for his kingdom advancement, not our own. And we're believing that God's not finished with us. And how exciting is that? Yeah, seriously. Just when a lot of people turning 60 are just sort of imagining <laughs> working on their handicap in golf or joining the bridge club, you're just ready for a second career, whatever that yeah, looks like. Come on. Okay, yeah. That's superb. So um, as we vaguely draw things to a close, anything you'd, you'd say to someone struggling in a seemingly hopeless situation? What would be yeah. your advice there? You've obviously seen a lot of that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm always conscious to, to keep it general because everybody's situation is, is very different and everybody mm-hmm. is different. So I think so. the keys I would say that we've certainly learned over the years is the number one thing. Please be real about your situation. Uh, and what I mean there is um, don't try to pretend it isn't what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, God knows what it is. So if you really are deeply distressed, if you're a bit overwhelmed, if you don't even carry on if, yeah, I think we all know what those feelings are. Me and Lizzie have learned over the years that the first thing to do is just to be real with God about the, about how you feel, about the challenge. Mm-hmm. Uh, he knows anyway. So it's not a newsflash, is it? And that's where we have found initially the very first part of the fellowship in difficulty, knowing he knows exactly what you're going through, knowing that you can be totally honest with him. You don't have to pretend to be anything you're not. You don't have to... Yeah, you don't have to make it up. You don't have to be overconfident if you're not. If you are confident, be confident. But if you're not, that's okay as well. So we'd say, number one, please be real with God. There's no shame in struggling. There's no shame in coming to the end of your tether. It's not mm. shameful. It's remarkable that you've allowed yourself to keep going till you've got to where you are. So number one, please be honest with God. And secondly, we would say that very few things have worked out how we thought they would or when we thought they should through who we thought they should. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, be careful. Not to, yeah, it's always important. Ask God for what you really feel you want, yeah, but be faithful that he'll give you what you really need. And the, other, the final thing is that we've found that God has, has often said no to things, and no's got to be okay as well as yes. And often he's said yes, but not now. Mm-hmm. And that's where you trust of his timing. And also to have some close friends if you can, if you haven't, you've always got Jesus, the closest friend. But we've found, you know, a very small group of people, you know, perhaps two couples that, yeah, we would say that, yeah, have journeyed with us. And of course, being part of a, a local church and fellowship is also hugely important when you're facing challenges. And God uses your tears; He collects them all in a, yeah, in a in a jar. I would think, being Lizzie, sometimes think we've had a couple of buckets full over the years, yeah. but that's okay. Yeah, because we're alive in Christ. And the reason why we've found it difficult is we've really cared. Mm. And I think if you really care about something and it's not about, you know, your own kingdom, it's about helping people, if it's about being compassionate to the poor, if it's about changing communities, if that's what you care about, then you're going to hurt. And that's going to be difficult when it doesn't work out how you think. But look to the good. Look to the joy in, in walking with Christ. Look to the joy of suffering for his name, not your own. Look for the sense of his miracles and keeping you going because that's as much a miracle as breakthrough um yeah. we would say that keeping you going i'd love to yeah if i can i would love to just pray for anybody at the end you know let's pray together for people who are facing these uns- insurmounting difficulties because yeah god's a god who's with you and he is and it'd be a good thing for all to do anyway well, i'll tell you what you want to do that now and that would be great 
wonderful. Heavenly Father, we just come close to everybody who is listening to this interview. And as they've heard your story, our story, Father, it may have brought up situations that they've struggled with in the past, or it may have reminded them of the difficulties they face right now. Heavenly Father, in your spirit, in your compassion, with your grace, we'd ask right now for our fellow brothers and sisters anywhere in the world who are in need, who have come to the end of their tether, who have been misunderstood, ill-judged, written off, where things haven't gone as they expected, where they're left with a gaping hole in their heart of disappointment and upset. Heavenly Father, Jesus, Lord of Lords and King of Kings, you came to this earth to fill those holes with compassion and grace, understanding and kindness. And we pray your spirit upon every brother and sister who is listening to this, that they would know your peace. Because as you say in Philippians, the peace of God that transcends all understanding shall guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. By prayer and petition, Father, we ask for our brothers and sisters that would know your peace mm. and that would know it beyond understanding, but also know that it's from you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Oh, John, I had other questions, but I think that's just a good note to to end on. It's been a real pleasure. It's been really inspiring. You've done what it said on the tin for this podcast. Um, really very grateful. I, I want to flag up um, capuk.org, C-A-P-U-K.org. Um, nevertheless, is the story uh, from from years back. Anything else, John, you'd want to flag up? Just don't sit and suffer in silence if, if you need help in anything. Yeah. Just put your phone up. Ask yeah. people for help, don't be. Yeah, just be open to be helped. I'm really glad I was. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, thanks for your time and thanks yeah. everybody for listening. It's been it's been another cracking week, hasn't it? Next week we've got another stunningly interesting and inspiring guest. So do tune in again. In the meantime, I want to thank uh, my buddies Adam Thomas Steer for the editing and Mike Sandiman for the mixing. Please, if you've enjoyed it, give us a good rating on iTunes, wherever you're listening to this. And if you're only in touch with me, simongilbo.com or other social media platforms. Wonderful. All right. Well, cheers then, John. Thank you. And cheers, everybody. Toodaloo.